We're talking the Tesla Model 3, the iPhone SE, as well as about Dylan Lewis behind his back on this tech edition of Industry Focus. Greetings, fool. Sean O'Reilly here at Fool Headquarters in Alexandria, Virginia. It is Friday, March 11th, 2016, and joining me to talk tech via phone from Denver, Colorado, is for, uh, former Fool.com Technology Bureau Chief, Mr. Evan New. Evan, how is it going, man? Pretty good. Long time Pretty no nice chat. out here today. Yeah, what, so we, uh, spring arrived in D.C. here this week, uh, so it's been, you know, 60s and 70s, a little bit of sunny, a little bit overcast. What is it uh, like out there? Right now it's like seven degrees, but I think out here it can snow all the way until like April or May, which is crazy because I'm from Texas, but yeah. you know, kind of have to get used to it. Right. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, you and uh, the wife are from Austin. I remember you guys. <laughs> you guys would not ta- stop talking about Austin. Um, we uh, we miss you at HQ, man. I uh, I don't get to talk to you enough. Yeah, I know, man. Um, so really quick before we talk about Tesla, which uh, am I allowed to say this on air? You ordered one. I do have one now. I oh my gosh, you have one! <laughs> I cannot wait to talk about that. But uh, first, we've got a little, a couple of announcements out of Apple. Uh, first and foremost, what is the iPhone SE? I have not been keeping up uh, nearly enough. Yeah, so they officially sent out invitations for an event for March twenty first, which is you know just over a week from now. And the two main things that people are expecting are this iPhone SE which stands for special edition or something. I think the naming's kind of silly. I don't know why they... They already cute. offer a gold iPhone, so what could possibly yeah, be special about I, it? <laughs> well, it's going to be... A, a, supposedly, it's going to be a 4-inch one, so they haven't released a new 4-inch iPhone since iPhone 5S in 2013. Okay. So it's just kind of a way to update that 4-inch model, because a lot of people still like 4-inch phones. You know, not everyone wants the huge a bigger phone. Gun. Yeah. Yeah, so it's just really a way to kind of strengthen the product lineup, really keep all of the main offerings good, you know, because they've always had a low, mid, and high price points that they sit at, right? So Mm. this is just a way to kind of keep the lower price point a strong product. Okay. So what's been going on with the the big iPad, the 9.7-inch iPad Pro? Well, so the the, what they're also expected to announce is a 9.7-inch iPad Pro. I mean the the big the super big one is the twelve point nine inch one. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, yeah. So so they're expect so the nine point seven is like the what used to be the big one that they've always had. Mm-hmm. Um, so that one is kind of expected to be similar to the the super giant one in terms of like the design. You know, have the sp- four speakers, and so this, apparently it, they might even be rebranding it as like from iPad. You know, the right now it's iPad Air, and they might make it an iPad Pro. So kind of included in the Pro family. You know, maybe with some of these other features, like maybe they have the Apple Pencil support, which you know hopefully is a big selling point for the big pro. I mean, it's still kind of too early to Steve Jobs say. is rolling over in his grave. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> he hated the pencil, the 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 stylus stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, well, it, it makes no sense on a phone, which is kind of like you know those quotes of him bashing styluses were all in the context of the iPhone, right? And it makes a little more sense on a tablet because it's bigger, and especially when, from like creative professionals that rely on that type of stuff for their jobs. <laughs> Do you uh, have you caught wind of anything about the smart keyboard at all? Uh, yeah, so that's another kind of big question: is like, are they going to also um, have a smart keyboard for this new nine point seven inch iPad Pro? Because 
right now there's just recent report from IDC saying detachables are really taking off. Uh, so think about Microsoft Surface is like kind of the main detachable that everyone thinks about. But you know, as a category, people really like this idea of tablets that can kind of like you know, for a long time, everyone was trying to figure out how do you get a tablet and a laptop, one device that kind of does all of that, you know. Mm-hmm. And a lot of companies tried and just didn't really make a lot of progress. But this detachable idea is starting to take off. And IDC, you know, for what it's worth, you know, IDC does consider the iPad Pro as detachable because of the keyboard. Mm-hmm. So if you have this 9.7-inch iPad Pro and you have the keyboard, it can maybe take advantage of some of the increased demand we're seeing for these detachables just because it's a little bit more versatile, a little bit more you – know, you can conceivably replace your laptop with it. I mean, I think it's – I've never been interested in having a tablet that replaces my laptop. Yeah. I prefer two separate categories. Like I just have my laptop and I have my tablet and – they're good for different things, but you know that's what the market wants. So yeah, what do you make of the uh, you know since you mentioned it the the Microsoft Surface and everything because a lot of people at this office I mean you you you've been here like we're we we skew Apple occasionally but there's a lot of people at at the Fool at least that really like the Surface uh, the Surface Pro uh, three and four. I mean I've always I've never really liked it as a form factor just because. Like, you can't really use it on your lap because the kickstand and, you know, like, this this kind of, yeah. like, goes back to the age-old conversation of, like, the compromises that come into, like, having tablets that do the same thing as laptops. And I've just never been a fan of that. Um, you know, because it's like a laptop, you want to be able to set it up anywhere you go. Like, you're in bed, you're on the train, you're, you know what I mean? And with the kickstand, you can't really do that. I mean, I will say, though, that I think Microsoft does have a big advantage here in terms of the operating system because... Apple's always been this discrete approach of like we have a tablet operating system and then we have a desktop operating system. But Microsoft has been working to converge and have this one operating system that can do both. So in that sense, if you have a device that's trying to do both, I think Microsoft has an advantage there. Because like iOS, when it's in like this kind of like the laptop setup, you know, with keyboard, I just think it's awkward. You know, like you're trying to touch the screen and, you know, like, it's just ergonomically not very pleasant to hold your hand up and like try to do all this stuff on the screen. So, you know, I think it's kind of a, they, they, Apple and Microsoft each kind of picked their approaches years ago. And now we're just kind of seeing how that all plays out, particularly as the market evolves. So it'll be kind of interesting to see how it plays out. Cool. Still. So uh, before we move on to Tesla real quick, um, and since this is The Motley Fool and we care about investing... Um, really quick, just talk to me about uh, what Apple's set to announce regarding uh, share buybacks and capital returns. So they, they give annual updates. So every March, April, they give an update to the capital return program. So that's coming up here pretty soon. And, you know, just a, a month ago or so, Tim Cook publicly committed to annual dividend increases, which, you know, should have been pretty obvious anyways, but it never hurts for him to just kind of reiterate that. Uh, so I would expect Apple's going to give some type of dividend increase, you know. Who knows? But we'll just kind of wait and see. But I'm a little bit. I'm actually bigger, a bigger fan of the buyback program, just Especially because it's with the so line. massive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, so right now, for some context, the current program is for a total of 200 billion dollars, including 140 billion for repurchases. To date, uh, or at least as of, you know, December last quarter, they had repurchased. Uh, about 110 billion dollars, which is kind of just crazy to think about. Like, that's bigger than the market caps of like mega cap. That's like more than like a mega cap. It's the <laughs> like GDP of a bunch yeah, of, of countries. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and 
you know, so I mean, that really is very accretive because they're they're retiring a ton of shares and really boosting earnings per share, which. You know, Apple always been cheap, but it just keeps it cheap because the earnings multiple is so low. Um, and I mean, some people like to call it like financial engineering or whatever, but I, I don't. I think that's kind of a misleading term because it, it suggests that they're doing something like nefarious, but it's just delivering value, like real value to shareholders because they're just creating earnings per share to existing shareholders. You know, I mean, I I, I love the program because it's just because it's so big, and in, a lot of people generally criticize buyback programs when they're badly timed but with apple so cheap it's hard to say that they're making a bad trade on it you know it's not like they're buying it at the highs when the valuation looks stretched they're buying it when the when the shares are cheap right. you know like so it's kind of you know it's it's hard to apply those kind of generic criticisms to it awesome well, before we move on, I wanted to point our listeners to the newly redesigned Focus.Fool.com. There you'll discover a special offer to join the Motley Fool Stock Advisor newsletter that works out to $129 for a full two-year subscription. Once again, that is Focus.Fool.com. Uh, so, Evan, before we talk uh, Tesla Model 3 and stuff, I want to hear about your new, new whip. So I ordered a certified pre-owned Model S from Tesla a couple months ago, took delivery about a month. Uh, you know, so it wasn't a new one, but it was like 18 months old, right? Which is like basically new. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, we got a great deal on it, so I mean, it was basically a third off what it would cost to buy was that a brand process, new one. Was that process pretty smooth with Tesla? Oh yeah, I mean, it's it was incredibly easy because you know I just went online and found a model on their pre-owned site that you know had really good mileage, had the options that I wanted, uh, and then just ordered online. And then it was actually they had to deliver it, ship it from New York. Um, okay. So you know I had to wait a little while. But in Colorado, uh, we have a, a six thousand dollar tax credit for electric vehicles. And if it, if that has never been claimed on that vehicle before, then you can claim it. So even though this is a used one, since it's never been registered in Colorado, I'll get a six thousand dollar tax credit when I do my you know twenty sixteen taxes, which you know certainly helps offset the price of the car. For sure. Yeah. I notice you keep telling me you're always uh, dropping the kids off at school and stuff, and I have to I have to think that you're doing it just so you can drive around in the Tesla more. Oh, of course. <laughs> you, find excuse, you find excuses now to drive around. <laughs> um, so, uh, if, I mean, for one or two years, Musk has been teasing the uh, the Model 3, um, which is going to be more of their, their mainstream uh, Tesla model. And there, I, as I understand it, the unveiling is going to be this month. So what can Tesla investors expect? So I think that's... I mean, it's hard to really imagine any negative storylines coming out of this. Like, everyone is just so excited about this. I mean, you just hear people talking about it constantly. Like, you know, you you go on the internet or just – I'm sure you have friends. Like, personally, I bet you have some friends that have heard about it and are interested. Like, it's. I I mean, what? It's going to be priced at thirty five grand. Yeah. I mean, we're all (laughs) – Yeah, and and that's the crazy thing is that, like, no one knows what this car is going to look like. Like you know, like kind of the basic stats that they're trying to hit, like the thirty-five thousand dollars price, two hundred mile range. But you know, you know, you know nothing about what the car looks like, right? Which is what no. The only show thing off. I knew was the um, oh shoot, what's the bigger one with the Falcon wings? X. X. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've seen that. So like, I've been looking at photos yeah, of that for a but, year. But what's crazy is like there's so much interest around a car that no one's ever seen before. Like that's pretty impressive. To like people are just like, all I want is an affordable Tesla. I don't know what it looks like. Right. But I want it. Like there are tons of people Take my money. on Twitter, on forum. Yeah, exactly. They're they're basically like already planning on buying this car, but you've never even seen it, which is just it's just kind of crazy to think about like a purchase that large that your people are. I mean, obviously not everyone's going to follow through, but 
the initial interest is so strong on a car that you know very little about, which so, is, I think, pretty impressive. You've expressed the opinion to me that a Tesla still needs to beef up delivery service and supercharger infrastructure. Can you add some color to that? Yeah, so I, I think that's going to be a challenge. I mean, they have, I mean, they're they're still targeting late 2017 for launch, but I mean, right now they've produced just a little over 100,000 vehicles total, and you know they have the service infrastructure. They have direct sales where they're you know, allowed to, at least, which is kind of state by state. But then they have these, these supercharger. But each supercharger location, you know, might only have maybe five to ten different stalls. And it takes, you you know, 20, 30 minutes to charge. And in, in places like California where there's a lot of Teslas because California is just so friendly to EVs, you know, they have a lot of Teslas in California. Mm-hmm. You, you do – even now you do hear stories of congestion. Like sometimes you can have really bad congestion – you could, I mean, there was one story that went around over the holidays of like this person had to wait like 40 minutes to charge up, you know. And when you t- start talking about ramping up the volume that they're expecting, like they're targeting 500,000 units by 2020, that has to put a strain on the infrastructure side in terms of how you're going to deliver all these cars, how are you going to service all these cars, how are you going to provide sufficient supercharger availability to all these cars. So I think they have to, you know, and I have no doubt that this is on their radar, but you really have to get ahead of it and build up this infrastructure ahead of time to be able to handle that, just that sheer volume of stuff. And because Tesla is much more vertically integrated than other car makers, you know, they do all this stuff themselves. So, you know, that's it's a big investment. It's a big commitment. And, you know, they just, it just really underscores the execution of, of what they need to execute on to, to really succeed and, and be able to handle this kind of volume. Because they've never done this type of volume before. It's kind of like, uh, you know, during the 70s oil embargo, you saw the lines at the gas stations. But it's this time it's with a bunch of electric vehicles and they're looking to charge yeah, exactly. up. So, so that actually is another good point. Cause like I, I think no one knows what the options are going to be priced at. So I think it's pretty likely that they're going to charge you for supercharging. Because you know, when they first launched the Model S, you had to pay extra to get supercharging. I mean, now it's standard, but in the early days for the lower capacity models, you had to pay extra. Like I think it's like twenty five hundred dollars. So it would make sense if they want to charge for it because that also is a pretty important option. Helps increase the price of the car, if, you know, beyond just the base. But it also would limit maybe how much, how, what kind of congestion volume you have in traffic at the superchargers if not everyone chooses to get that capability. Got it. So uh, before we head out here, I'm anxious to get uh, uh, some uh, insights on what uh, you saw at the Meet Model X event that you attended there in Denver, I saw. Um, And you saw the Model X there, right? I drove it. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. What did you think? It was pretty wild. Like, the car is just so fast, and it's an SUV. And it's, I mean, if you've ever ridden or test-driven one of the ludicrous ones, like, it slams your head in the back of the seat, which is kind of jarring at first. And I, I kind of feel bad for all the Tesla's press people that have to constantly <laughs> deal with that. Like I actually asked the the press Getting person, whiplash, like, you ever huh? get sick? Yeah, exactly. It's like you're constantly taking test drive and constantly get, people are just slamming your head back in the seat because they're testing the car out. Uh, but I mean, it, it's the, the panoramic windshield is actually really cool. I didn't think it was going to be that cool, but being able to see so high up, I mean, functionally. I mean, visibility, it goes, it's more of like a vertical visibility. So it's not like things don't hit you from above in a car. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know how like functional it is in terms of, you know, it doesn't help you with your blind spot, for example. Um, but, it, you know, it, it does provide for a pretty crazy experience. 
And the, the doors are, of course, like amazing. But I also have concerns like, are those going to be more trouble than they're worth? Like, what what's later on down the line, fast forward five years, what's out of warranty repair expense going to be on those doors if there's a problem? And they've already had a lot of problems just in manufacturing them, you know. So it's a very complex design, and you know, I think they're awesome. But I would have some concerns about. And maybe it's a risk going forward. Maybe it ends up being more trouble than it's worth because the benefits are – I mean, there are there are functional benefits. You know, they can open tight spots. You can get in the car easier. But is, again, like what's the benefit compared to the possible risk and the cost later on? And only time will tell, you know. Got it. Now, uh, before we head out, are, are you a Tesla shareholder right now? Yeah, I bought – I invested in Tesla back in 2011 at oh, about wow. $30 a share. So. Good we're, for you. We're enjoying the ride. <laughs> so you are a Musk believer. Okay, cool. Well, send my regards to the family, Evan, and thank you again for calling in. Yeah, thanks for having me. Have a good one. And if you're a loyal listener and have questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Just email us at industryfocus at fool.com. Again, that's industryfocus at fool.com. And as always, people in this program may have interests in the stocks they talk about. And The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against those stocks. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear on this program. For Evan New, I'm Sean O'Reilly. Thanks for listening and Fool on! Fool on!